Well, you had a chance to get your uh, Bible. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, one of Paul's several letters to the Corinthians, which we'll talk about a little while. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and uh, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we come to you on this day that the world has set aside as the first day of the new year. We pray that you would speak to us from your word we pray that you would teach us, that you would enlighten us, that you would encourage us, that you would build us up and give us, Lord, the nourishment that your word provides to us, the nourishment for our minds and hearts that we might know why we should love you more and why your love is greater, Lord, than we imagined even now. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We pray that you, I pray that you would guard my lips, my tongue, and my mind, that I may speak your truth, and that your Holy Spirit would be at work among us through Jesus and only because of what he has done for us. Amen. Well, as I said, the, the world is announcing it's a new year. Today is, today is the day. And it certainly is another year. It's not the same year. Uh, it gets the next number. <laughs> That's, I guess, how, how we tell. Uh, the earth has 
completed another circle around the sun. Uh, we get to change the calendar. Have <laughs> you done that already? I started to this morning, but I had the problem. But anyway, I digress. We, we engage in many common rituals that we associate with making fresh starts and taking on new challenges. Uh, some folks make uh, resolutions. Now, from this passage today, I, I want to open our consideration that the gospel that we preach here at Hope Church is it's the same gospel that Paul preached wherever he went during his journeys across the face of the known world of his day. Uh, it announces something new, not, not new and just the next one in a list, but something new in character and in, in really in essence. It's a different, Christianity is different from other religions. It's the culmination, it's called the fullness of time, of the time, the, the, the work of God, uh, which began before time, continued after mankind's fall in Eden and produced something new in the world. Uh, the hymn writer, we just had our Christmas last week, uh, the, the angels announced God and sinner. The hymn writer announced God and sinners are what? Reconciled. A Savior who is Christ the Lord was born. A Savior, meaning that salvation was something that was necessary, that was needed. It was a gospel, good news of great joy for all people, for all nations. The Apostle Paul was one of the first that carried this good news, this message, or at least the best known, as far as we know, or the best documented uh, of all the, the disciples who became apostles, uh, went out into the world. We have the more record of what he did than the other disciples, John and, uh, and the others. But there are stories in history that tell us that they also went out. We don't, we don't learn as much about them from the word of God than we do Apostle Paul. Uh, we call these journeys that Paul made his missionary journeys. If you study the book of Acts, they're detailed there. And they dominate this second book of Luke. We don't call it that, but that's what it is. Luke's, Luke's, Luke, the second book of Luke, uh, and especially after chapter eight. Something really new had happened to the Apostle Paul. His name was Saul, so he had a new name, Paul. He, uh, he saw the light, as we might say, in, uh, in an idiom of ours, and he literally did see the light. Although, of course, it was curious. In Acts 9, verse 8, it says his eyes were open, but he saw nothing. <laughs> he was blind for a time. And then indirectly, of course, he went and stayed in a certain place where the Lord sent him to go. And the Lord didn't directly speak to him at that time. He had to talk to somebody else, which was Ananias. And uh, he told Ananias, of course, and what was Ananias's reaction when he said, go, you go see Paul and, you know, he's praying. 
course, his was what? Who? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, it's another moment in biblical uh, assignments, like Jonah's, maybe. <laughs> the the disciple, the, the the servant of Christ, said, "Wait a minute." <laughs> Never a good thing to do, but uh, but we all do it, of course. I know I do. He is, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's in verse 16 of Acts chapter 9. And then he goes on to explain, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, I suppose Ananias told Paul, that's what Jesus had, had told him. Uh, I don't know what his reaction was, but he didn't turn back at that point. Uh, now, these journeys are described after that in the book of Acts. There were three of them documented. And uh, maybe more, even, that are undocumented, because there are some hints that he actually got out of prison at one point and then was able to continue uh, traveling to the west to see even to Spain, which was his plan. We don't really know that that happened. Uh, on one of these trips, he made his way to the major city of Corinth. And he stayed there for 18 months plus. And that's described in Acts chapter 18. He found some new friends there on his journey. Remember, you've heard their names, Priscilla and Aquila. And these were a... a couple, married couple, that the uh, record tells us who were Jews who had been uh, expelled from Rome during one of the purges of one of the Caesars at that time. And so they made their way from, from uh, Rome to Corinth. Uh, Paul attended the Jewish synagogue in Corinth, along with Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, he was occupied with the word in chapter 18, verse 5 says, he was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, he, he had earlier on some of his other travels gotten into big trouble, hot water, and even on this trip, you know, he was, uh, he stopped in, at Philippi, at Berea, in Thessalonica. And he even uh, went to the, the, the capital or the, the prominent city of Athens just before he ended up in Corinth, where the, uh, the wise and learned leaders of the city told him that he was interesting, but he was probably crazy. Now, in, in these other cities, he had started to oh, preach Lord. the word. He gained some, he, uh, some converts came to the Lord in these cities, but... Eventually, he was he was expelled from those cities. The leaders here said he was causing too much trouble. He was uh, stirring up uh, dissension. The Jews were mad at him because he was preaching something that they uh, it offended them. Uh, in Corinth, the same thing happened. The Jews opposed and reviled him, so he washed his hands of them, and which I think is also interesting. He set up shop right next door to the synagogue, which was interesting. I guess there was a vacancy that he could rent this space. And uh, right next door, as he ministered the word, 
Many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. A church was born there. A church was established in that city. It was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was the second largest city to Rome, the city of Corinth in uh, what is modern-day Greece. Uh, in a vision, Jesus confirmed Paul's uh, efforts. He said, don't get discouraged. He said, don't give up for the opposition that came along. I have many in this city that are my people. Several times Paul had visions from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in fact, uh, in, when a new governor or what they call a proconsul in that time came along, the Jews sued Paul before the, uh, the court of that city, tried to get him to stop what he was doing. And that judge, I think it was Gaius is his name, he took exception to that. It's an interesting story. He said, he basically told him, you stop wasting my time. Don't bring these frivolous lawsuits to my court. And as a punishment in that day, if you brought a frivolous lawsuit before the court, they would beat you. <laughs> Just to emphasize the point. And so the ruler of that synagogue was beaten before the court. So, But the upshot is the church there continued to grow and to prosper. It says Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and sisters and set sail. He left to go back to the east. And uh, once he, I guess he believed his mission was ready, the church was ready and he could go on. Had its own leaders. It had its own. It was, it was a vibrant, thriving church. Uh, and the church in Corinth occupied Paul's uh, attention for many years thereafter. Though it was not easy to communicate at that time, he found ways or made ways to keep in touch with them. He received uh, questions during his stay in Ephesus on his third journey, and he responded. And the, what he responded to is the epistle of 1 Corinthians. Later, some say he made a visit in person that did not go very well. He heard there were problems. He called it in 2 Corinthians 2, a visit made in sorrow. And other, other commentators have described it as a painful visit. Someone there had opposed or seriously offended him, and he went to straighten it out. After this, some think that Paul wrote another letter of rebuke and called for their repentance. This is the severe letter that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And again in chapter 7, it was carried by Titus, who was Paul's assistant at the time. Paul then, after sending Titus, was on his way to Corinth in person. And he experienced anxiety over these issues described in 2 Corinthians again, uh, 7. He was deeply troubled and was bypassed an opportunity for ministry in Troas, was on, which was on the way from Ephesus to Corinth, he went on to Philippi, and he met Titus coming back. He was relieved and uh, overwhelmed with joy when Titus told him of the Corinthians' genuine repentance, their love for him and their loyalty to him. And then Paul wrote this letter, which I'm 
teaching from this morning, 2 Corinthians. He was in northern Greece, and he wrote this letter after hearing of their positive response. But regardless of that, problems, his problems were not over. There were hard feelings remaining, and he deals with some of them in, uh, in the, the lighter part of 2 Corinthians. Paul's heart, he said, was wide open to them. There were still differences. There were still problems. You are restricted in your own affections, he said in 6.12, and widen your hearts also, 6.13. He was opening his heart. He loved these folks. So the background is uh, this message to Corinth that Paul is struggling, broken relationships, difficulties. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> Any at all? This is the, the early church in the within the first 50 years after uh, Christ returned to heaven. Uh, he was present there at his founding, at its founding. He loved the church. He loved the believers. He knew them. He uh, had worked with them and lived with them for several, or at least probably two years or so. Uh, there were conflicts and battles with the Jews and with the Roman government, the courts, and many people came forth regardless of that. Jesus people, Jesus people, the original Jesus people, my people, he called them, in that city. Many believed and were baptized. There was fruit to the glory of God, something new. There and all over the known world, as carried by Paul, and many others who are unnamed. <clears throat> so in the letter, he's keeping in touch with them. He's recognizing their struggles. He was thinking about them. He prayed for them. He remembered them. He wrote to them. He went to see them. He argued with them. He rebuked them. He corrected them. He guided them. In all, he loved them. He was a, their shepherd. He was a shepherd to them. So what was he emphasizing here in his letter? What uh, was the important thing he wanted to say as the chosen instrument to carry his name, the name of Jesus? And I wanted to uh, mention to you, to, to say to you that it's not complicated what Paul was saying. It's the heart of the gospel. It, it's really rather simple. Uh, as he did everywhere, what did he teach? He taught that Jesus is the Christ. The Jews knew what that meant. And that Jesus has many who are his people in wherever he was. Good news, a great joy for all the people. In Abraham's seed, what all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he expands on this even further as he goes along. We have concluded this, verses 14 and 15, and this is the gospel. This is what we need to understand to grasp what the Holy Spirit needs to open us to, uh, verses 14 and 15. Place here. One minute.
So I'll pull it out here. One has died for all. One has died for you all. One has died for all his people, all that belong to him. And then he repeats that again in verse 15. He died for all. And that's the gospel. The beginning of it, the, seat, the, the, the heart of it. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And along with that, he says, you have died. And then you live. I have died and I live. You have died. You live. Paul was preaching that that, uh, that life that now remains is to be lived for him. And why is Paul telling everyone this? Because the love of Christ controls us. It's love. It grabs hold of me. It controlled us. The word means it grabs hold of me and carries me along. That's, that's the essence and the definition of that word. The love of Christ, his love for the world. And again, in verse 21, he's describing the gospel. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The hymn writer says, I once was lost, but now I am found. Once was blind, but now I see. Once was in sin, and I have Christ's righteousness. I am Christ's righteousness before God. Once was dead, now I'm alive. All through the letter of 2 Corinthians and many of other Paul's writings, he's always drawing this difference, this con uh, contrast between, uh, between what I was and what I am now. He reconciled us to himself, verse 18. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, he, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and as I said, he's been talking about this. If you look at the letters of Paul, you'll see this quite often. Uh, in chapter 2, he's talking about the fragrance of death to the one group, to those who are perishing, and the aroma of Christ to those who receive the truth talks about the law as it's written on stone tablets in chapter three. It's hard, it's, it's severe, but now being written in fleshly tablets of human hearts, uh, echoing the prophets who said, I will give you a new heart, a new heart of flesh. Talked about the letter of the law killing also in chapter three and the spirit giving life. It's life in the spirit. He talked about condemnation, the ministry of condemnation. And then the ministry of the spirit and the righteousness that comes from it. Talked of veiled truth. The truth was veiled from those who didn't believe. And it was visible to those who did. He delivered from bondage into freedom. Again, the old and the new. And this relic reconciliation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He had ejected Adam and Eve from paradise after the fall. But even then, his plan was in motion. 
Eve's seed would crush the head of the serpent. Now, what's it mean to reconcile, to change from enmity to friendship? I read that in my uh, dictionary, Bible dictionary. Is, and that is what God accomplishes in Christ in the gospel. Romans 5.10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is a, a big word, propitiation. God's favor is restored to uh, us. He's propitious. He's good. He's, his face is towards us, which is the result of our atonement, this reconciliation. We are no longer at odds with God. Christ has secured favor, his favor. And it isn't as some might like to describe it. Well, the God, the father is the angry one, right? They divide up the Godhead. They divide up God and assigned different kind of dramatic roles to each person. But that's not how it works. Uh, Christ didn't just appease the father's anger. He, he was justified us in his sight, and not just the Father, but the Spirit and the Son together, working to redeem us, to give us new life. And that's the heart of the gospel. And I hope, I hope we all understand that. I think we do, or I, I imagine that we do. I, and if we don't, Please try to understand it. Lord, Holy Spirit, please open blind eyes and deaf ears, I pray. But it's really not more complicated than that. Even the little child can understand it. And this is the salvation that he provides. Uh, and perhaps I haven't articulated it very clearly. I hope I have. But uh, that's why we're here, isn't it? It's to, to think about that, to remember it, and to to wonder at it that's what this table that we're going to come to talks about christ died for us he took the punishment that we deserved and we received the perfect record of righteousness that he accomplished so that uh, we are indeed reconciled to god and that's an amazing message that's an amazing thing because our world is all alienated in any direction in every relationship that's what satan likes to do he likes to to break up relationships and it i imagine he's frustrated by god doing this and it's not like you have to earn it there's nothing you could do to achieve it god does this he opens your eyes and opens your heart to him and and that's good and that's where we should be but i want to talk a little bit more because it's not exactly all, if you can understand what I'm getting at. There's more. The, the, uh, the advertisements of these days. Wait, there's more. Yes, we are new creatures, new creations. Uh, and that's what I love. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, in English, that sounds pretty stilted one two three if if anyone is in christ but really that's the way that the translators put it in to try to make it flow smoothly as a, as a sentence but really what it says is if anyone is in christ 
new creation. There isn't any. He is a in Greek. It used to be in the in the King James Bible that I grew up with. All those words were in italics. The the ESVs now they don't they don't do that anymore. <laughs> it was an interesting insight. That meant that those words were put there by the translators to try to make the the idea match up with what this what this says. But it, there's an emphasis to it. New creation. It's something new. Uh, we are those that are, well, Romans 6 tells us, what does this new creation look like? And it's individual and it's corporate. We are in Christ. We are a creation that's in Christ. It didn't used to be in Christ, but now I'm in Christ. And that's a little bit complicated. It may be difficult to give you the sense, and I'll try to do better. It's, it says, uh, there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. You're safe from condemnation. You have everything that you need, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. God reconciled us to himself. He put us in Christ. When he looks at us, he sees Christ in a sense, in an important sense. When he looks at our sin, he sees that Christ has paid for that. He's atoned for it. He's taken the punishment upon himself so that it does not count against us. But you've noticed, God reconciled us to himself, and what? He doesn't just grab us then and take us into glory right away. Uh, we're staying here for a while. Can't presume upon it, because we don't know how long we'll be staying here. But we are. It, it, but this life now that we live, we live for Christ. It's not a waiting room. You understand what I'm saying? It's not a, a, a waiting room. He gave us something to do. And that's also in 2 Corinthians 5. He said he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. When he says ministry, it's a service. It's, let's say more diaconate. It's a diaconal task. It's a service. It's, it's a service that we have a ministry. And, of course, uh, we live for him who for our sake died and rose again. We're in him. We live for him. He's, in a sense, he's in heaven. And we're his feet, hands. We're living for him. He's, we're doing what he has designed for us to do. Interesting passage in Galatians 2 which I learned, I memorized when I was in summer camp once, and it's stayed close to my heart ever since then. Galatians 2.19, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul speaking again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You are dead. But Christ who lives in me, I live in Christ. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that love of Christ compels us. I and we all have work to do. 
and he says it down below. What are we? We are ambassadors for Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. We are all ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through me. And what his appeal is, is we implore you to be reconciled to God, which is preaching the gospel, which is what Jesus sent us to. He commissioned us to do. And uh, implore, beg, beseech, petition, appeal to uh, is something we try to persuade, as Paul did. And we're sent. Jesus sent us, as he mentioned, John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus sent Apostle Paul. And we saw that before. You will be my chosen instrument to carry my name, even to suffer for the sake of that name. He, and he sends us as his ambassadors. Now, he sent his ambassadors out in every generation since Paul until today. First one, then another, then year after year, then decade after decade, century after century. And that chain, that, that sequence of people being sent out and proclaiming, carrying the name of Jesus, eventually came to you and me, somehow. You have a spiritual genealogy, in a sense. Uh, you look at, I look at this church, I look at this room in this building, there were those who came before us. And every time we're here, every time we touch this pulpit or the seat that you're in, we see the fruit of what those faithful believers built, did, in service to Christ and bearing his name. And so we benefit from what they have done as, as we benefit from each one who is in that chain has told us. Uh, Jesus has sent out his ambassadors in every generation since Paul. As I said, the work must go on. The fields are white, Jesus said to harvest. And so we pray for workers to continue to go out into that harvest. It was kind of a new thing back in the first days when Paul was, was ministering, but it uh, doesn't seem so new today. It's been 2000 years. These, all these cycles around the sun that we see, it doesn't seem so new, but it's, it's still new because God creates new believers wherever the message is proclaimed faithfully. Now, I want to think about, finish by thinking of that harvest, harvest of the gospel. Jesus makes uh, the fruit of the gospel. Uh, Jesus makes that uh, clear and describes it in several ways that maybe we don't. Uh, of course, I don't know how it can all be true at once, but he does. But he does say in John 15, in this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. And since our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, uh, then it's our, our function, our purpose is to bear fruit. Uh, and I just want to point out, it's not, it's, it's not a uh, contradiction to say, it's not two different things to glorify God and enjoy him. That's not two different things. It's all one thing in case you get the impression. Sometimes it's not enjoyable. But in the end, it will be forever. 
uh, in Psalm 126, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The new creation is God's planting. It's God's field. The good seed being sown, Jesus talks about this often. And other places, it's an incorruptible seed. It's been planted in God's good soil, our hearts, and it abides in us, produces grain. It grows up, it increases, it yields, sometimes 30-fold, sometimes 60-fold, sometimes 100-fold. And the new creations are branches. How can we be both a seed and a plant growing and branches? Well, John 15 tells us that uh, we are branches in the vine, in the true vine. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And of course, we know Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Whoever abides in him and him in us, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus' new creation bears much fruit and glorifies the Father. And thereby, may I pray that May, 2000, may the year 2023 be a fruitful one in prayer, the fruit of the Spirit. Of course, you may think, well, am I bearing much fruit as, as an individual, more or less? But, of course, it's the fruit of the Spirit is part of it. In prayer, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things we pray in the new year, in the new creation that is us, will grow. Sometimes we get discouraged because we don't think we're growing very much, and that may be true. But uh, R.C. Sproul gave an illustration I don't want to leave without talking about. Uh, he says, do, do you love God perfectly? And the answer is no. That's, that's crazy. No one loves God perfectly. But do you love God as much as you should? And again, the answer is no. I don't. And then when we look at, when we talk about fruit, say, well, what's my Christian life? What's happening? What's, what's it doing? Or what's the life of Hope Church doing? What's happening? May not look like much. But more is, uh, as much as you should? No. Nobody does as much as they should. And that's what growing is all about. But the, the, the real question to answer is, do you love God at all? stop and think about that just for a minute and that's where he he says yes that if you love god at all he's at work in you if you didn't love god at all then you're an unbeliever you don't you don't understand the gospel uh, it's easy to say uh that uh, jesus died for our sins 
and we're coming to this meal and I want to just transition and say one last thing that we who love him a little bit participate in because he welcomes us to it and just as we come to it I want to it occurred to me that the uh we think about fruit uh we are benefiting from the fruit of someone as we participate in this meal what's what happens to how do you make bread what it's not just wheat kernels they have to be crushed they have to be ground into powder before they're useful the grapes what happens to them to make wine they have to be crushed to, they have to be uh, the fruit of the vine has to be crushed to make the wine so even the good things that nourish us and that are elements of this meal are the result of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and as we come to it we need to to consider that to think about it he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities he was chastised for our peace we are healed with his wounds and all our iniquity was laid on him and let's pray lord we pray that you would teach us to remember as we partake and to be thankful to recognize lord the the work of your spirit within us that came upon us lord not because we wanted you first but because you wanted us first and you made this happen lord the gospel is a gospel of being brought into your kingdom being brought in under your reign and your rule and lord we again we only just begin to love you and to serve you in this life and we thank you lord as just as uh, the vine grows and bears fruit it is because your life comes in us comes through us and creates something lord that it's not like we're building it but lord you're making it happen it's an organic kind of a of a uh, event and so lord let your people bear much fruit and when we see you the master vine dresser in the year to come when we see you pruning and changing things and do things lord that are painful to us and to our families and to those we love we pray that you would help us to know that it is your good hand father that is guiding this and making us not exactly like a topiary but, but something like that lord you have a you have a model a, a plan in mind and when we don't understand it we might resist it so lord teach us not to resist you're pruning in our lives and you're directing us and steering us and putting us in the frame sometimes you put us in the dark for our own good we pray that you would do much in us this day and help us help us to appreciate and to be thankful for Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and we pray that you would be glorified in Jesus name amen <laughs>